I could do this. Hello and welcome to the Super Colorful Original Telecommunicated Transmission, otherwise known as ScottCast. I'm here, uh, finally, after 6, 3, 14 months, something like that. Some kind of insane um, leave of absence, but with Ian Dixon. Yeah, it's been a, a weird summer, I guess. It has. What, have, what do we have to blame? You know, we have everything we could possibly want in a podcast, but we've been neglecting our audience. What, what could we possibly blame this on? Me? I have achieved enlightenment. I mean, that sounds like a lot of work. I don't know. You'd think. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what have you, what have you been up to that you couldn't get to the pod table? Uh, just life, you know? Yeah. Processing through, through being an adult and having responsibilities. And sometimes that just takes it out of you and you just gotta lay around for a couple months. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Just, it's called torpor, by the way. It's kind of like hibernation, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, an extremely low state of activity that you that uh, you barely produce or do anything. You just kind of exist yeah. as like a unit of life through time mm-hmm. for a little while. And there have been reports of people who have engaged in torpor for um, literally four or five months at a time. Like they'll like load up on vitamins and basically just lie there on their couch without eating or sleeping or anything just vegging out Mm -hmm. you know it's rare because it's like you know how how do they handle going to the bathroom and stuff right uh is that disgusting or what it seems to be happening is their biological systems actually stop in a way like their heartbeat is shown to be very slow Mm -hmm. incredibly slow and like their brain activity is minimal but it's, you know, looks kind of like a dream. So, like, these torpor people, they say, um, are a glitch in evolution, you know, because it's just kind of random, mostly in Southeast Asia. But, uh, but yeah, no, it exists, though. There's, Interesting. So, like, what could what adaptation do you think torpor would bring in um, a modern human species? How would it be adaptive? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it would uh, protect you from the bullshit constant onslaught of, like... That's what I'm thinking. Information, yeah. That's exactly what I'm thinking. It's like, you know, you can opt out of being a member of the society. <laughs> At least for a few months. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's biologically, it's you can pay that price. You can uh, go on low rent mode, basically, yeah. is what it is. And I would do that, too. I would do that um, on purpose, if I could. Mm-hmm. I would go six months of torpor, and then the next six months... Like, I'm rushing after that ice cream truck. I'm buying the stock every week, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just throwing ice cream around at all the neighborhood. Everyone loves me. I'm, I'm the ice cream man's, like, Robin Hood, you know? Yeah. But I'm not robbing nobody. I'm just, I'm just splashing that money around because six months of uh, expenses just uh, saved up by being in torpor through, mm-hmm. through winter, yeah. you know? I would do that. So, if you don't see us again for six months... You know, if I can achieve enlightenment between now and the last time we published, God to believe I can fucking achieve torpor. They're probably uh, pretty similar, like a state of nirvana. Kind of, I imagine. Like, yeah. if you're not thinking about anything, yeah, that's probably what it is. It's just, just the essence of being. Yeah, you just lose your own consciousness or mm-hmm. something like that, and, and you kind of drool. 
it's the presence of drool that really signifies someone who is like gone through that um you know realization yeah that, that little break it's drool sounds like bliss to me right uh as a psychologist do you think um do you think it would be like your responsibility like i like you know in a perfect practice that you would eventually guide people to enlightenment well, i'm not a psychologist but uh therapist you know yeah i mean that would be great i suppose uh our system's not set that set up that way Right, but in a perfect world, yeah, you know, money's no I mean, issue. I think that would be probably the goal of uh, therapy. It would be self-realization, yeah. Yeah, that level 100 therapist. Yeah. Like, you go in a mess, you come out like Buddha. <laughs> Something like that. We should uh, start making advertisements for your, um, this private practice that you have not made yet. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, got issues? Here's a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Dixon. Nirvana counseling counsels you to Nirvana. Yeah, uh, I'd like to think that if you listen to every sentence of Scott Cast with complete attention, mm-hmm. and if you can sustain that attention, and you've heard every single bit of audio we've produced, then you could reach Nirvana and enlightenment. Probably, yeah. Yeah, if you can make it through that like that and hold that attention. I think Master Charles, uh, when he was Master Charles, he had an opportunity. To be that person and i think he's very close mm-hmm. he was very close at one point like when we only had 12 episodes out yeah and he was keeping up like if it wasn't for like a moment or two of him drifting away his focus from the podcast he would have been an enlightened man right there mm-hmm. but now we got like 150 like boring ass episodes to get through <laughs> <laughs> yeah the threshold has risen substantially i mean if you can listen to those mindfully you probably We'll learn a thing or two. I think so. I think so. We learn something every time. We learn, yeah. That's a, that's a common refrain. What did we learn today? You know, we're just summarizing and reaching, usually. <laughs> um, let's get into something a little bit uh, more exciting Yeah. than uh, enlightenment. Being news. I was walking to Ian's house yesterday, and what did I see on the sidewalk? But a queen bee and another bee having sex. I knew it was sex, and I knew it was a queen bee because the queen bee was two and a half times precisely the size of this other bee, and it had, like, little wings. Like, Mm -hmm. those wings, come on. (laughs) And, like, there was this other little bee that was right behind it, just, like, going at it. Mm -hmm. Like, full hip thrust. Um... If you know anything about the biology of bees, when they put it in, they can't get it out. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to tell whether he was, you know, on the uh, beginning or the end of his little journey. Yeah. With uh, with that thrusting, but I can definitely say that that bee was having sex with that queen bee, which may or may not have been dead. Because usually this it's stuff, in flight. it's yeah. in a flight, and this queen bee was just like laying there, like <laughs> wet fish style. <laughs> I guess Queen Bee was not at all helping out the cause. <laughs> um, so I think that's kind of like a sign, mm-hmm. right? Like from the universe, that we really need to get going on this bee project, zombies. Yeah. You know, that worker bee fucking that dead Queen Bee. That is that is a metaphor written all over it about zombies. <laughs> <laughs> you know? we take too long that's what it's gonna be yeah it's just just gonna be us fucking this Uh, dead joke that kind of feels like what it is (laughs) (laughs) 
thrusting and futility. Yeah. Oops. Yes. We got to do something about it, man. And I don't know what that is. I think, I think, I, I think, I think we should readjust our entire production strategy. Mm-hmm. We make all the devices and the props first, mm-hmm. and then we basically improvise the story around it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We film a bunch of weird shit, and then like after we get all the action scenes. So like it's like gonna be an hour long movie mm-hmm. maybe once we get forty minutes of action scenes, <laughs> we'll keep the outfits a clean version mm-hmm. of everyone's outfit, um, and we'll do the backstory after that. Yeah, you know, action first, drama second. Seems fair. It's the only way we can get something done. And I, I, I mean, that was sort of like how it became. You know, it was all about like B gore in my head. Right. That was the first thing. <laughs> that was the first thought you had. And uh, I, all I did was up the ante and make it about also B sex, because mm-hmm. it's also because they're kind of the same, right? B gore and B sex, pretty much the same. But we got bogged in the idea of delivering a great story with it. Yeah, and that's like we watched this movie yesterday, and I'm like, we don't need a good story. <laughs> <laughs> that movie we watched, um, B themed, so part of our B research portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, Invasion of the Bee Girls. Yes. Like, it was too pornographic to be considered, like, a movie, but also it was too much of a movie to be considered a porno. Right. It exists in this weird gray area, and um, I do like that style. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, replace all the boobs with penises, and we you basically have our idea with zombies and taints and whatnot. Yeah. But um, how would you rate that show? I gave it a 10 out of 10. But um, what was your what, what did you come down on it? On Invasion of the Bee Girls. I mean, it was a fun watch. We had a good time. It was um, good. It was a good uh, mystery science theater. For yeah, you. for sure. If you're like having some drinks with some friends, it's like a fun watch. Uh, I would say that like there were some parts where they could have used like some lighting. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, half of it the lights were just off, <laughs> and um, it was basically an audio play with like maybe like glimpses of shadows and hair yeah um and like i don't know the acting wasn't fantastic but it was like good enough the writing i thought was clever sometimes and like again fun enjoyable entertaining Mm -hmm. that's the the point uh there was the one uh rape scene could have done without it was extended yeah it was was definitely uh the the more pornographic thing because uh, really the framing of it was just like, oh, I'm being raped. But it was all like it was like four guys holding a girl down and her boobs were just like out. Right. Like in the center of the frame of the camera for a solid two, three minutes. You know, it was a long time. It was it was a, it was like, OK, OK, OK. We understand what's happening. <laughs> yes. This beat has move been. This, a, move this along. This beat has bought. Um, but yeah, like aside from like those couple things that i would change if i had done it it was fun i'd give it a, a solid seven solid seven yeah solid seven all right so there you go there you have it uh go watch yourself invasion of the bee girls and uh you know when it's time to fast forward you'll know um i was thinking we could probably start like a new like kind of show mm-hmm. because think about scott cast we're in episode 150 some odd something yeah 160 something i don't know and uh, you come to a podcast like that, and like seeing those numbers, that's uh, intimidating. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to go through a catalog that's 
500 episodes deep. Right. It's like, I don't want to commit that kind of time. So the solution to that is to just pretend to start a different show. Okay. You know, the same thing. Be like, oh, we've got a new coat of paint on this bitch. Yeah. You know, and uh, just do the same exact show or something very similar. You know, like I was thinking we could do a movie review show. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll just watch these movies and come up with hypothetical thoughts and I don't know, a treatise on them. Yeah. Do a treatise, Mm -hmm. call it a show. I mean, this electric dynamic, we got to use it somehow. Yeah. You know, we got to put this, kind of put this engine in a good, good chassis. I mean, I can see that working. We definitely had uh, some things to say. It's not as fresh in my mind now, but. uh, Right. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I didn't prepare anything about it. I was just like, hey, we, was, we watched that boob show I wrote down. There was some uh, some parts that I think were like apropos to our current situation where like the town's like, well, there's been uh, 10 deaths in the last three days. It's all been dudes overexerting themselves during coitus. And uh, here's this guy to talk about it. He's like, yeah, um, you guys should probably like not do the sex right now while we're figuring this out. And that guy stands up, he's like, I'm not going to stop. Well, I didn't even say I'm not going to stop fucking, but that's essentially his message. And it was really like, it felt a lot like the anti-masker thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, people are dying. We got to figure this out. It's like, well, I'm not changing what I'm doing. Yeah. And like, it's a strange take for that particular character to have made because he's like such... He he is like such a like a rural uh, you know established mm-hmm. business owner kind of man with like overalls and and that kind of thing and like he's standing up and he's like you can't tell me who not to fuck <laughs> <laughs> like like this guy has this huge fucking practice that he can't <laughs> give up on right <laughs> like how am I gonna pay the baker how am I gonna pay my tickets you know how, how am I gonna pay for groceries. How am I going to pay the doctor? You know, how am I going to pay my mechanic? You know, like, how am I going to pay my internet bill? Right. How am I going to pay my phone bill? You know, if not, I'm not going to use my dick. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a full character we need to import into zombies. Mm-hmm. You know, the the outraged at City Hall man. Yeah. You know? So there was a timelessness about Invasion of the B-Girls that, like, yeah. uh, the outrage of the simple folk. I think, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot lately especially living in Hamtramck like um largely like the people who really engaged in city matters mm-hmm. are, are kind of the rubes of town mm-hmm. you know like so I think as an archetype this character is like just supposed to be the rube who goes to city hall and like he goes because it's Wednesday night and he's he wants to yell at something yeah and whatever goes up on the board he's gonna yell about it you know you can tell it's not you because city council meetings are on Tuesdays. Sure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm absolved. But, um, <laughs> but I feel like that is a thing that people do. Um, and uh, this is just an archetype. And like that mm-hmm. COVID thing was just like it leveled the world. So mm-hmm. the whole world became yeah. like the city council meeting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like in this city, in Hamtramck, like who's the smartest people in town? I guarantee you they're not in city council. No, they're not. No, not at all. Like, you know, maybe my neighbors are. Like that guy over there, he's like a Deloitte consultant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a got another executive kind of type over there, and we got doctors living here and mm-hmm. shit like that. A lot of a lot of well-qualified people for these kind of things, but the last thing they want to do is work for <laughs> Hamtramck City Council. 
So, you know, that's a that's an archetype of our times, the incompetent leadership of uh, municipalities. Because mm-hmm. the war- rewards are too few, too thin. For sure. You know, you got to be able to replace like a doctor's salary <laughs> to get efficient leadership, basically. Right. And then like they have to be able to go back to being a doctor. It makes no fucking sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Shia LaBeouf converted to Catholicism. Yeah. Yeah. He worked on a movie and he became a Catholic. Mm. And I, and I respect that because I'm converting to voodooism cool. after, after my enlightenment. I read a little biography on Marie Laveau. I was enchanted. Mm-hmm. And now I'm uh, going to be a devotee now. Cool. Of uh, Marie Laveau. I'm going to get myself a little uh, uh, voodoo altar. I mm-hmm. think of the name of the religion. Um, you know, decorate it up mm-hmm. as uh, designated by a real voodoo practitioner. And I'm going to fuck around and find out. Cool. You know, I need some sort of guidance in my life, some sort of meaning. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to f- manufacture meaning. Um, I've long thought that, uh, you know, life will never make sense unless you force it to. You know, it's always going to be just this chaotic swirl. Yeah. But at some level, uh, you can like manipulate the chaos to form some sort of order for a moment. You can hold on to it for a little while. You got to make your own meaning. Yeah. Make your own meaning. You strangle meaning out of life. That's what I do. Kind of an existentialist sort of position, yeah. Is it? Yep. It's probably because I'm enlightened. <laughs> you know? And I feel like that's the only way you can approach voodoo. Mm-hmm. Because if you approach voodoo, like, and you're not enlightened yet, you're going to go in, and you're going to start asking Marie Laveau, like, hey, you know, spirit lady, can you slap up some people for me? You know? Mm-hmm. Voodoo style? You're going to make voodoo dolls, stuff like that. Um, but that's not the way to do it. No. Because if you go to a voodoo spirit or whatever and you just ask them for shit, they're going to be like, it's it's like, you, you need to get to know me. You know? We need mm-hmm. to be friends. If And like even then, it's like, it's all your role, dude. Yeah. Because basically what happens in the voodoo religion is you petition some sort of uh, loa for help or advice or whatever, and they can only really gain power by go, you know, going to the supreme deity, Il Zombie, mm-hmm. which is a giant snake god. Nice. Right. So you can't talk to the snake god directly. He's too cool for you. So you petition these guys. They draw power and, you know, and they help you out given their specialties and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I had a friend who was friends with Shia LaBeouf. And, like, before I even became friends with this guy, I just... I just, like, asked him for favors about getting some Shia LaBeouf strings pulled. Mm-hmm. You know? It's, it's it's awkward. Yeah. Imagine if someone, if you were friends with Shia LaBeouf and somebody comes up to you and is like, can you tell Shia LaBeouf, uh, can you show him my screenplay? You'd be like, no. You know? I don't want to interfere with my friendship with Shia LaBeouf. Right. You know? I, I would like my friendship with Shia LaBeouf to be just me and Shia, you know? Without the LaBeouf. <laughs> don't make me bring up the LaBeouf. And that's how voodoo works. Nice. Yeah. I mean, we're going to enlighten the shit out of people. We're not even halfway through. You know, if people are following along, this is the big payback. So if Spicy Boy Charles is listening to this and he's not enlightened and uh, of a new spiritual bent, I'm going to be tuning into the Twitch TV to find out. But uh, if he's not enlightened after this episode drops, he's not trying hard enough, I guess. You know, it's just fine. We don't need to be enlightened. Yeah. There's a lot of people who died completely um, clouded over in ego. Mm-hmm. And misery and sometimes happiness you know you don't have to be enlightened to be happy and those the breaks yeah you could be a complete dumbass be happy in fact it's generally encouraged in some respect it's easier you limit the scope of your uh vision 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes you could fix yourself on a very pretty vision. You know, that's how There's it is. Less to worry about that way, but also yeah. uh, less to fulfill. You know, what kind of life is that? Mm-hmm. It's a life of looking down a pinhole, trying to find mm-hmm. happiness. If that works for you, that's cool. That's why we call them pinheads. Yeah, yeah. Power to you if if that's you, but it's not me. I guess not. But realistically, how much life do we really look at? We've got our routines. Even us, yeah, we're pinheads yeah. in the scope of things. Yeah, I mean, I've. You know, I've heard of people who've, uh, you know, gallantly strode upon the seven seas, you know. Yeah. People who've uh, ripped down structures and uh, instituted life change in mm-hmm. uh, the civilization that we have, you know. And we don't do anything like that. Or do we? Well, if people, if one person gets in line to off this podcast, we would have done that. But we don't have to do that either. I would like to, I would like to liken my view on the world not as a pinhole, but as like, like a fist hole, you know. Mm-hmm. A hole the size of a fist. Okay. As you can imagine, expanding that hole. True. Yeah, it's a very tactile-sized hole. Because it's the shape of a hand. It's perfect. There's more. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, here's some news. This is an interesting news. In fact, this is the last thing I have. It's so interesting. But, uh, you know, I like, I like vegan burgers. Yeah. You know, even like, even in the context of eating meat, and stuff like that. Uh, vegetarian burgers are actually tastier mm-hmm. because it's there's seasonings and uh, you know it's kind of complex and you know it's built for this. Mm-hmm. Whereas like you know with just beef, I mean by itself beef is just kind of you know whatever. Right. It's like a charred mess. But uh, you got to season it. You got to do all that. Well, if you got to do all that, you got to dress it up. Then what's the point? Mm-hmm. With the with the plant based burgers, it's built dressed up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, so there's this company in, like, Europe that wanted to kind of test the limits of this. And uh, they wanted to say, hey, look, we can make plant-based burgers taste like anything, anything at all. And so, let me get this right. Um, They invented the plant-based human flesh burger. Nice. Exactly. It tastes exactly like human uh, flesh does after extensive study, Mm -hmm. they say. And they don't go into details what that study is, whether it's a... Field study, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or uh, recounting of um, tales from cannibals. I think from what I've read, because, you know, who hasn't gone into a cannibal uh, rabbit hole? Right. That human flesh tastes like pork. That's what I hear. Yeah. It's like pork sirloin. Mm-hmm. You know, which is okay. You know? And, like, apparently we're closest to pork and pigs just genetically or something. So that might account for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the company's human meat plant-based burgers made from soy, mushrooms, and wheat protein, as well as plant-based fats and a mix of different spices. Uh, and yes, the aim was to, uh, show that they can replicate the taste of any meat. This is from their marketing leader, which, as a strategy and a tactic, I want to kind of unpack here. Mm-hmm. You want people to know that you can replicate the taste of any meat, and you choose human flesh. <laughs> how are people going to check right that's a meat people aren't too familiar with yeah that's that's you just you picked about the most exotic meat possible <laughs> <laughs> so um i'm very curious to see some reactions see if there's ever going to be like a i think they should 
give like you know some free samples mm-hmm. to someone who's been convicted of cannibalism yeah i want to hear their opinion you know and like how many times is a cannibal going to have a valuable opinion <laughs> this is the only time mm-hmm service to them and be like this is kind of like what you know, you, you know john <laughs> oh no gamey something like that yeah that's the only way we can verify these people these these corporate people you know mm-hmm. making these wild claims over in europe talking shit plant-based burgers based on human flesh with that said though if i got some patties would mm-hmm. you do a podcast yes. taste test yes all right i'll put that on the list <laughs> <laughs> That would be a good episode. Mm-hmm. We could do that on Twitch too. We'll go full out on that one. Hell yeah! You know, and David, if you're around, uh, if you're listening, uh, let us know if you want to be part of the human flesh taste test video. You know, so look look forward to that. There will be at least one more Scott cast where we go full circle <laughs> um, and engage in cannibalism, plant based cannibalism. That's a good title. That's a great title. See, we look sometimes some episodes are bridges to other episodes that's what this episode is <laughs> and it's a more casual cast but it, it works it does the trick um with that said let's take a quick break okay so now that we're like 30 minutes of like this weird rambling um enlightenment episode in mm-hmm. i'm comfortable giving my jurassic world dominion review <laughs> Um, all right. There's some good in this movie. Mm-hmm. We got Sam Neill. He's in it. Laura Dern. She's in it. And they're both fantastic. They have the best emotional arc. There are good dinosaurs in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Therizinosaurus. Google it. I am so pleased that that thing got the Jurassic Park treatment. Because it is the weirdest fucking dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, looks like Big Bird. It's the size of T-Rex. Uh, it's got claws at the end of its arms that are, you know, six, seven feet long. Uh, and it's an herbivore. Mm-hmm. Like, and, uh, the way they depicted this herbivore was just brilliant. It's just a pissed off weird thing. <laughs> you know, with like little empathy or consideration for anything else. <laughs> right, Kyle? <laughs> you know what that's like. <laughs> Um, and without spoiling too much, uh, the movie does end with a fantastic kill that involves the Therizinosaurus. Um, okay, now the bad stuff. Ooh. First off, uh, like, imagine, like, missing this punt, right? You're given a story world mm-hmm. that's in the Jurassic Park universe, where the premise, the opening premise is there are now dinosaurs all over the world, Right. Yeah. They've been released, they're out, they're out of control. There's no putting there's no putting them back in Pandora's box. Now, what kind of story do you expect from that premise? Chaos. Chaos, sure. That works. Um dinosaurs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A uh, story about dinosaurs. Seems like <laughs> naturally it would involve dinosaurs, yeah. Yeah. Jurassic Park <laughs> three, Jurassic World Three, Dominion is not about dinosaurs. <laughs> It's about locusts. Mm. Uh, they this bioengineering company makes these locusts that are about the size of Kyle, um, and they're eating all the world's crops. Mm-hmm. That's the big threat. It just so happens that they put the lab that they engineer the crickets in or the mm-hmm. locusts yeah. in the middle of a dinosaur preserve. So get this: in a movie where the opening premise that we're, where we want to play with the story world 
is dinosaurs are all over the world. Half the plot is dedicated to breaking in to a dinosaur park. Okay. Literally the same story we've gotten five times in a row. Yeah. The one thing different about this movie premise is the dinosaurs are in the world. (laughs) Why are we in a park the entire time? (laughs) Anyway, that's my review. That's... That's the end of it. I, I gave it a 10 out of 10. Nice. Because it is dinosaurs. Yeah. And Sam Neill. Oh, and I guess I should do a sound effect. I will say the most annoying thing about the new Jurassic Worlds is the pet Velociraptor. Hmm. That sounds annoying just from hearing those is, words together. Yeah. Chris Pratt has a pet Velociraptor. He communicates with the Velociraptor. He, he makes promises to the raptor. Um, they have a rapport together. Yeah. I think there was a point where he made like a snippy remark to the to the raptor. Mm-hmm. You know, classical conditioning. Is that how he did that? I think <laughs> he used to have a clicker. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the clicker anymore. Mm-hmm. Now his big thing is is like holding holding a hand upright as mm-hmm. far as you can in front of you, like a like stop, and then doing kind of doing a crouch mm-hmm. kind of thing too, um, which is crazy because in every other. Um, Jurassic Park whenever someone put an arm out like that it, it went into a mouth right <laughs> got severed yeah like ask Samuel Jackson <laughs> how that tactic worked for him in the electrical shed yeah it's okay it's okay I mean like they say that they're going to be making more Jurassic Worlds mm-hmm. Jurassic Parks I guess that goes to show that like yeah we don't really need a good story for zombies yeah yeah like that's been the big realization that's the true enlightenment of this episode is story doesn't matter no people say it does but i mean it's nice if you can get it but is it doesn't i think story is an illusion like the self you know like consciousness i mean things are made better with a good story but they can still be of merit without just a vehicle for weird shit yeah like, does Eraserhead have a story? Kind of. You. So bleak. You uh, <clears throat> project a story onto it. I think it. it's like a vague narrative, but not really a story. That's a good point. That's a good point. You you apply a story because that's how you process things. It's like a it's like a dream. Mm-hmm. I so, would, you know, you know, but it, but you, but you do kind of get a sense of an arc. Yeah. There's feel of an arc. Things happen. Yeah. It's like an energy thing, you know? It's not quite a resolution, but it does feel like the movie's over. (laughs) And we did get that one compliment from Bendy. Yeah, what was that? Like a a year and a half ago, two years ago. Mm -hmm. He said, there's no greater confirmation that a film is done than like a close-up of a taint fucking a bee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's still got to be in there. That's got to be in there. And uh, if it does have that finality, because it's like, that's the thing. I don't want, I don't want people to watch something or engage in something I do and not feel like it comes around and kind of ties itself up at the end. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want anything to just kind of like trail off, Mm -hmm. like peter out like this sentence. (laughs) But if we can do that with zombies by just prioritizing making these dolls, Mm -hmm. you know, making these... I think the first thing we need to start making is the giant pussy, you know? Start at the end. Yeah. Work our way backwards. And, like, it's through things. I know we need to, like, find a way to... We need, like, a miniature 
forest, like a little terrarium forest. Mm-hmm. So we could project like a forest right next to Hamtramck, and we could have something to burn down. Because mm-hmm. I really want to burn down a forest. Okay. In the movie. So we got to get some like uh, those little Zen gardens with uh, one of those trees called. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Baobab? Baobab? No. No. It starts with a B. Bonsai. Bonsai trees. Yes. It's an ass ton of bonsai trees. We're just going to light a fire. <laughs> it's probably going to be the most expensive effect. Just getting all these bonsais. Right. If you know how to make a scale model of a forest that we can kind of find a way to like project on the other side of Hamtramck from like a drone shot. Like I'm imagining it's like Hamtramck, the forest, as far mm-hmm. as the eye can see, you know, this fictional version. We got to burn the whole thing. I want it to look like a hellscape surrounding Hamtramck. There's a fire encroaching in. And the bees, the bees are so mad. <laughs> <laughs> like some of them are on fire, but they don't die. They're just bees on fire mm-hmm. running around. The stinger is red hot, sears through people, and cauterizes them. That would be pretty f- crazy. I'd yeah. be into it. Yeah. So, like, weird side effect. Some of, a lot of the people who survive have, like, these, like, gaping holes <laughs> in their body that were immediately cauterized. Surgeons were able to do some reconstructive work, but, mm-hmm. you know, those are the veterans of this battle, this massacre by the bees. <laughs> That's the sound of flesh. Because we got to make it so that when David fucks the queen bee, people need it to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking we should make Hellraiser look like Teletubbies. <laughs> I want it, I want. I want people's perception of nature fighting back to be that horrific. Mm-hmm. You know, and it should be. We should be afraid of nature. You know how uh, theocratic religions say they, you must fear God. Mm-hmm. I think uh, in a materialist world, we must fear nature, like with a respect and an awe. Like you don't I want guess, to fuck yeah. with it, you know. If you, nature sub- will win. if you subscribe to the materialism, yeah. Sure. I don't know what it even it is because I'm enlightened. <laughs> I don't subscribe, but uh, I think in most any secular worldview, you know, there's always something to fear. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing you have to fear is the greatest power closest to you, and that is life itself, mm-hmm. and the many vicissitudes. The diseases, the, uh, you know, like we say we're on top of the food chain, mm-hmm. but are we? You know, what if a Sasquatch shows up? Sasquatch will eat you. Sasquatch will beat you up, eat you too. Shark will eat you. Shark will eat you. Bear will eat you. Bear will eat you today. Right now, as we're speaking, someone's getting eaten by a bear. <laughs> Other cougars, um, let's see. Mosquitoes will kill you. Could, yeah. Mosquitoes will kill you easy. Very itchy, you know, but. And that's what Jurassic Park as a series is supposed to be about. You fear nature, mm-hmm. and you prescribe a certain amount of respect to that fear. You know, deference. Yeah. It's like it's like the respect you should pay to the laws in voodoo mythology mm-hmm. or religion. Uh, you respect these people, these these spirits, these mm-hmm. beings, because it's they got power. Yeah, they got power over you and the outcome of your life. And you don't want to be an asshole, mostly. Yeah. Right? That shame that comes with being an asshole. I don't want to be an asshole. I don't want to be an asshole either. How did we get here? I don't know. Me neither. Respecting nature or something? We should respect nature. Fearing nature? I don't know. Respect nature and the forces within it. Um, Let's see. What's next on the old docket? There's something I'm missing. I'm sure there's something I'm missing. I've been reading a lot of books lately. Like, I just finished up the elementary particles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a book that's like almost entirely pornographic. 
mm-hmm. in nature. But like, like towards the end, like these terrible things happen, and like it takes this turn for this philosophical, mm-hmm. and you know it really, really wraps itself in a in a bow. Like what the fuck, <laughs> you know? It's like you said, if you you're not a materialist, well, this is a condemnation to materialist mm-hmm. thinking in a way. It starts with like the '60s. A woman, uh, kind of a hippie in the free love movement in Europe, uh, has two kids by different fathers, both of whom are vacant. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one kid turns out to be emotionally stunted, can't really feel love, and the other kid is like emotionally needy and uh, really needs that attention. She's, she raises that kid, and the other kid is raised by someone else. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the kid that is emotionally stunted becomes a molecular physicist or biologist, and uh, he discovers, uh, slight spoiler alert, that uh, you can create asexual reproduction in human beings. Mm-hmm. And uh, that leads to a perfect passing of genetic code. And uh, this book is basically an entire argument against uh, human loneliness in a materialist society. Because in like this rush to fill some gap that sudden secular plunge kind of led them to, uh, they chased sex and desire and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just led to a life of chasing and hopelessness and, and, and chaos and, and rotting. And even if you don't feel it, like Mikel doesn't feel love at all or anything, you know, there's just an emptiness behind it. Mm-hmm. It's an experience for sure. It's, you know, not something I necessarily agree with or not. Yeah. And I don't even think they really posit anything. But I do think like it's like depiction of like basically being a lonely person through aging and death was compelling. Cuz you don't really get a lot of literature on like people past like the hero's age. Yeah. You know, you don't really hear about their experiences a lot. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's because it's very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but maybe we should be prepared for that. And that's what this Scottcast is about. It's because we're enlightened on this show. Yeah. It's good to uh, acknowledge the, what you call that, the variety of experiences in human nature. Mm-hmm. And the inevitability of some of the worst experiences in everyone's life. Yeah. We have all yet to see our darkest day, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have we learned today, Ian? Um, what did we learn? How do we tie all that up? Mm. Um, boy, we, we're kind of, uh, dialectical today. I suppose so. We're like, story doesn't matter. And also, uh, it's nice to be able to kind of hone in on these, um, outside of the curve sort of experiences, right? How do you mean? Like, Outside uh, of the curve experience. Well, out, outside of the... <clears throat> Not necessarily like the the curve of like a normal human life, but outside of like what we see in media. Oh yeah, you know we don't see a lot of bees fucking in media. No, <laughs> so it's it's good to acknowledge uh, the fringe aspects of humanity. And like, is it fringe? Like, it's not really fringe because it's, it's inevitable. I'm, I'm having a hard time like wording this. I'm. <laughs> I'm not no, learning. I get, I get I'm not learning mean. anything. Fuck you. Oh damn! No, you can learn. You can do good. I was just, I was just trying to help. I guess I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I learned something along those lines too. You know, I don't know what I learned. I don't think I learned anything. <laughs> you know, I think that's, I think that's a, that's a good thing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at a certain point, um, you just gotta understand that you know everything you'll ever know. 
and any new fact entered into your uh, view mm-hmm. is just going to elicit like maybe like a cursory footnote entry into your consciousness. And uh, you're fixed in your ways in a completely implastic uh, mold. Mm-hmm. And you will die doing the same thing you've been doing for a solid decade. I don't know if I agree with that either. Oh, okay. Well, fuck. <laughs> we got to figure it out. This is the most difficult what have we done today ever. I'm hopeful that I learn something continuously. Yeah. And when I stop learning, I want to die. You're going to be Plastic Man? If I'm Plastic Man, I just would rather not. Well, no, Plastic Man being a good thing, like uh, neuroplasticity. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think meant Plastic as in, like, fixed and false... You know, you could say, you could say plastic is both. <laughs> so it's like, we will be, it is fate that we will be plastic man. Yeah. But which plastic, which plastic is up to you, you know? I want to be the soft, malleable plastic man. I would or? like to be a soft, malleable man. Uh, I would like to be uh, constantly reacting to myself and my own opinions. Yeah. I would like to carry this enlightenment uh, to further generations that I have experienced. This 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 feeling of uh, the complete evacuation of of self from consciousness, mm-hmm. um, preceded by the immediate return of self into consciousness, and then like fuck it, hang out. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so that does it for me. We got fifty four minutes in the can. A good, good enough good quick episode for y'all yeah you know we kept a good low energy but you know that's that's because we want to fit into your day good you know i don't want to be like sending these episodes of bad energy out anymore where i'm <laughs> where i'm ranting and raving there was nothing depressing in this episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah this was a good one this is happy go lucky all right guys hold on to your butts from all of us at the Super Colorful Original Telecommunicated Transmission, otherwise known as Scottcast, we bid thee adieu. See you later, Scottcastigators. All hail Scottcast. Glory be to Scottcast. Scottcast.